Amen. We have so much to celebrate today. Uh, as you know, last Sunday was a Mission Sunday. We had a goal of $210,000 as of Friday. We have collected $210,410.15. And just to show you how well we're doing, last year at this point, we had collected $45,000 less, simply $165,000, and we are still counting, which will mean we'll be able to do more and more mission work the more that we collect. In fact, I would encourage you, some of you, a lot of that was cash and checks. Some of that were pledges. Please fulfill your pledges. Also remember that all our mission work is not on that one day, that that every Sunday what you give to is a lot of great mission works, like our efforts in the Halcyon neighborhood and Halcyon school is in our normal budget. And uh, one of the best ministries we're a part of, hope-inspired ministry, bringing hope to a lot of people who don't have it. Uh, your regular Sunday uh, offering gives to that. In fact, you can see the pictures here. We had three baptisms here in our building Thursday from Hope Inspired Ministry. So let's celebrate. Let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the privilege that we get to join in your mission, to be a part of a church that's on a mission that's growing into that mission here in Montgomery and across the world. And Father, today we know that mission permeates every area of our life, even the mission you've given us in our homes. So bless our discussion today. Keep us on this mission. We pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Many of you, we had a great number of people be involved in the Confident Parenting Workshop this past uh, weekend, Friday and Saturday with Jim Burns, and, and it was awesome. But so often, sort of like Jeremy said, you go to that kind of workshop and you just feel guilty or, or you just feel sort of overwhelmed, and we all are honest if we know we probably will forget it if we're not careful. I can always remember Stephanie and I going to like our fourth or fifth parenting conference, and we come home, and we're imposing a new system of disciplines and rewards and consequences, and, you know, the kids are all shook up, and here I overhear my oldest daughter, Laura, talking to the three young ones, saying, hey, guys, don't worry about this. They've done this before. It'll all be over in about two weeks. Well, that's why I want to continue talking about this, because we don't need it to be over in two weeks. In fact, when we talk about confident parenting, here's what I'd like to say. Confident parenting is biblical parenting, okay? I mean, we know all kinds of parenting philosophies come and go, and you can go on the latest craze, but but the best is when you go to God's Word. You see, the reason we brought Jim Burns in for this weekend is because this man is an expert. He's talked to thousands of people across the world. And today we want to go to God's Word and hear God's philosophy of parenting, which certainly he's the greatest example and the greatest expert. Now, the Apostle Paul boils this all down to one succinct sentence in Ephesians 6, verse 4. This is what we're looking at. Listen to this passage. Fathers, and and please remember that that word in other verses is translated parents, so we're all on the hook here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. John MacArthur sums that all up, says, 
What parenting is about is loving your children so they don't stay angry at you and yet also training them and building them up in the Lord. Now, we'd all have to admit this morning that that's a challenging thing. None of us feel competent or even confident in our ability to parent. I go to a conference like I went to this weekend, I think, man, I would, I would love a redo. And I think we all feel that way. So as we face a lot of new challenges today, the, the, the first challenge we face is what I would call external pressure. We live in a different world. Life is no longer simple. Family life, when everybody lived on a farm or everybody lived in a neighborhood where y'all were the same schools and moms and dads had the same schedule, there was a lot of simplicity there. Today, as Jim Byrne said, we are overcommitted and underconnected. Also, values are no longer shared. There was a day in America, whether everybody lived up to these values or not, you could count on parents, church, community, society to have the same common standards of right and wrong. You don't have to go any further than the topic of sex today to know we don't all share the same values. We don't even any longer share the same definition of marriage. And so you you cannot count on this support network of everybody around you to affirm what you're trying to teach in your home. And also, exposure is no longer controlled. You say, what are you you talking about there? The idea of childhood years ago was childhood was a, a time where some things were secret, where you wanted to introduce your children to the issues of life in a sequential way. You knew at age three and four, they weren't ready to hear what they may be able to hear at age 15. And so parenting was centered around the sequential introduction. You see, what childhood was about, childhood was about imagination and secrets. And years ago, people played childhood games. There's a great book out called The Disappearance of Childhood. And how that's happening in our culture. He talks about how we dress children like adults. We make children talk like adults. We make them play adult games. Years ago, what you would do is your children would be free to play in their neighborhood, and they'd play games like hide-and-seek and kick the can and backyard football when you made up the rules. And a little child was able to let their imagination run wild. They weren't under this extreme pressure to win. It was just fun. And now at a very young age, we, address, we dress our children up in adult uniforms, using adult equipment, playing adult games. And now they're not free on their own. They're playing with fields that are clogged with parents trying to live out their dreams through their children. And it's just dangerous because we're taking away childhood. Those secrets are no longer kept from children. At one time, we tried as long as we could to keep our children innocent. There are things they weren't ready to know. Today, they are exposed with no plan and no sequence. Now, we all know how this started. It started with electronics. I mean, the TV changed everything. We brought this box into our home that had no boundaries and no morals necessarily, where we were all exposed to a lot of things. It didn't start, you know, you know, with your cell phone. 
In fact, in that book, The Disappearance of Childhood, it said television had no secrets and therefore it erased childhood. Now, there was a day where even in, in prime time, you had three channels and, and that was regulated where, where those were supposedly shows okay for your children to watch. We don't even have that on TV anymore. And you're probably not watching TV, you're watching Netflix with very little filters. And then on top of all of that, you know, we got these incredible smartphones where every secret, dark and light is there. And you have children going to bed by themselves with their phone right by them with access to things years ago we would have never let our children be exposed to. In fact, this is more powerful than TV today. The year 2008, Byrne said, was the year where children got more off the web, the web, the worldwide web than they got off of a TV. And so this exposure has led to a lot of bad ramifications. Children don't grow up with a sense of innocence, a sense of shame. Oh, I shouldn't have seen that. That, that wasn't good because they see it way too early and the results have been disastrous. I can just give you one example here. Today, crime in our country is no longer simply an adult activity. Our whole criminal justice system is having to be turned on its head to deal with the amount of young criminals we have. And what our answer has been is treat them like adults. The problem is we expose them so they're acting too quickly like adults. So there's that internal pressure in this crazy world we live in. But even more so, there's a pressure that's been going on since the beginning of time, and that is this, this internal pressure. You got the external, then you have the internal. You see, the internal pressures that every one of us has a sinful nature, even your child. Listen to how the psalmist expresses this in Psalms 58, verse 3. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Even a man as great as David laments in Psalms 51, verse 5. I was born in my mother's womb as a sinner. I don't think he's trying to talk about the consequences and, you know, guilt of sin as much as we are all born with a propensity since the fall for evil. I I like what um, Jim Burns said in the seminar. He says, when one sinner marries another sinner, you get a bunch of sinnerlings, okay? And that's just the truth. There was a a study by Minnesota trying to figure this crime thing out. Why is crime exploding, especially among children? And, and they, they concluded things our culture doesn't believe anymore. Here's, here's what they concluded. Everybody starts life as a little savage. He or she is completely selfish and self-centered. You know that. He wants what he wants. She wants what she wants when she or he wants it whether it's a bottle, the mother's attention, their toys, or another child's toy. And you know to deny that child at that age, that toy could send them into a fit. That's the way they're born. And yet here's what our culture says to us and what too many of us have bought into. Children are simply little angels, and inside they're all good, 
And if we can just, if we can just go deep enough, not only every child, but every adult inside is really and truly a good person. So all you really need to do is focus on yourself and you'll be okay. So our answer to these challenges as a culture has been something that sounds really good is self-esteem. It's if we can simply build a child's self-esteem up good enough, they'll be okay. Because the reason they make mistakes is they don't feel good about themselves, and so they act it out. Now, I'm not saying there's no place for self-esteem. But self-esteem is the dominant view of parenting. It's, It's like pouring gasoline on a selfish fire. They're already selfish. They're already propensity to to do wrong things. And now we say it's all about you. Let me just pour this fire, this this gasoline on the fire. There was a recent article in, of all places, the L.A. Times. The headline was this, note to California, drop self-esteem. Because what we had believed and were told were, if we just build everybody's self-esteem up and everybody felt good about themselves, well, then... They're all going to behave. The problem is it's gone just the opposite. The, the, um, the Times article says the problem is not self-esteem. The problem is we're not teaching self-control. Listen to this. When they go to interview hardened criminals, they don't find out they feel really bad about themselves. The problem is they feel way too good about themselves. And so this self-esteem has not been the answer, my friend. So, so what, is, what is God's answer? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at this verse in context for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Here's what he says, and, and just listen to the self-control talk in these four verses. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Parents, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So if you look at those verses, there's two teachings. One's negative and one's positive. The negatives don't exasperate your children. The positive is bring them up in the Lord. Teach them to obey. Now, do you notice, the answer to be a good parent is for you to be under control. And the answer for raising good children is for them to be under control. This Sunday, we focus on don't exasperate your child. Because before we can bring our children under control, guess what? We got to display it. Now, what does that word exasperate mean? I think it's a great word. You've been at that point in life, you go, man, you are just exasperating me. I'm at the end of my rope. What it simply means to, to provoke, to make angry. It would carry it with the ideas of being too hard that no one can be pleased. So I want to I talk to you about eight different ways that you can exasperate your children, okay? Number one is we all know that many people abuse their children. In an audience this size, I don't think it's unwarranted to talk about physical Sexual abuse, I guarantee it's happened, may still be happening. And certainly we know of verbal abuse. As an adult with a great vocabulary and quickness, you have the opportunity to verbally assault your child with words that will cut them 
deeply. And so we have to learn to not be abusive. And what, what, what I found out about abuse is abuse happens when you're angry. See, when I discipline my children out of anger, the issue is not my child, the issue is me. It's about what happened to me. Now, here, here's the toughest lesson I had to learn about parenting because, you know, I, I'm just an absolute soft touch. I mean, for a long time with our children, Stephanie was the disciplinarian and I was the playmate. I loved it that way. It was so much fun. But I put her in a terrible position. Because here's what would happen with me. I was so laid back and so playful and so easy. I don't have a really big temper that it would really take a lot to get me a temper. And so when I did finally discipline, often it was out of anger. Because they'd finally pushed me that far. And again, it was about me, not about them. And so the best lesson of parenthood, one of the best I've ever learned is you can be firm and be in control. You can be firm and not be angry. See, too many of us, we wait till our angers build up, and that's when we discipline our children, and that leaves some really bad lessons. So be careful about that. You can be firm. Okay, you violated the rules. I said, you know, if you did that, then you can't have your cell phone for a week. Please hand that over. I'm going to enjoy this. I may even call a few of your friends during this week and check on them. I mean, just, uh, you know, I hope you do well. I, I didn't want this. I, I feel sorry for you. I really wanted you to keep your cell phone, but you made the choice. We set it up. You made the choice, and you don't have your cell phone. So, so man, this may give you some free time that you need. So be firm, but don't be angry. Number two, another way to exasperate your children is to overprotect them. Now, how does that exasperate them? You're not preparing them for life. Listen, your job is not to create dependency from your child on you. That will ruin their life. Your job is to prepare your child to live an independent life. And so our goal as parents is to prepare the way. And when I overprotect them, I don't give them room to fail. And when they do fail, I try to sweep it all up and bail them out. Now, listen to me. Overprotecting your children, man, it feels good. I can sit here and think about my grandchildren and for some reason, going to school is a very emotional thing to me. And I think about my little kids going to school and somebody making fun of them, and it just, I just, I just want to go grab them all and make sure they're okay. It feels so right, but it is so wrong. Because here's what we got today. And all the people I've had time to interview is all the teachers and coaches. There was a day when we assumed the teacher or the coach was always right, and our child was in the wrong. Today, we flip the script in a dangerous way that we assume our children are right and the teachers and coaches are wrong and we become defense attorneys for our children. Thank you, teacher. Preach, okay, I appreciate that. The coaches have loved me today. The teachers have loved me. Because, guys, if you bail them out, you're not teaching them anything. Because when they leave your house... Everything, even, even if you think the teacher might be somewhat wrong, they're going to face that kind of thing in their life. And you not help prepare them for life. That's the best way to prepare kids for life is allow there to be consequences to behavior. 
Now, I understand this because I'm the one that wanted to sweep it up. I didn't want there to be consequences. My wife was so much better at this. I remember one of our, our children just could never make it to school on time. And, and so they're just late every time. And so finally, Stephanie said, okay, next time this happens, you're going to walk to school. Okay? Because we, we got to get there on time. And so one of our children, I won't mention their name, is um, we lived in Morningview at the time. Stephanie followed them all the way from Morningview to ACA. They were first graders. Okay? They weren't late again. All right? You see, there's got to be consequences, and you, it, though it feels good to protect them, it's not a good idea. Now, here's the other end of that thing. Number three is to overindulge them, to spoil them. I hear parents say something that really scares me to death. I want to give my children everything I didn't have. You know, the reason you probably are who you are is because you didn't have everything and you had to work for it. And, and what you're going to do is you're going to foster a dependence that's not, not good. I always remember a parenting seminar we had about 15 years ago here. This guy was an old-fashioned guy, John Roseman. I don't know if you read any of his books. But he made his, his parents do this exercise. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want every one of you to take this blank sheet of paper. And I want all of you adults in here, I want you to dream about what you want. If you could get anything you want, boat, new car, house, vacation, you just list everything, every desire you would have. And so we, we, that was sort of exciting. So we just filled a page up. And then he said, go back and look on the page. And now here's what I want you, I want you to grade it. What percentage of those things do you think that you're going to receive in your life? And when we looked at it at best, it was 15 or 20%. And then he turned the tables. He says, here's the problem. You're only going to get 15 to 20% of what you desire. The problem is most of your parent, you parents give your child 90 to 95% of what they want. So again, you've not prepared them for life. He said, you know, even when you think you want to do it, just learn to say no. <laughs> just say no so they learn that there's going to be a lot of people in their life that are going to say no. And so, again, this overindulgence that feels so loving is actually not very loving. Number four, favoritism and comparison. Man, that can definitely skew a child. The Bible's got all kinds of stories of parents who favored a child and the results were disastrous. Isaac favored Esau. And Rebecca favored Jacob. And the results were awful. And guys, it's dangerous when you decide one child's your favorite. Or when you say to the other child, why can't you be like this one? You know, we have four children. And something that we learned rather quickly was that they were all extremely different. And to assume one thing about one... And to impose that on the other was not wise. We had one child who was just a straight-A student. You didn't have to discipline them. You didn't have to tell them to study. You didn't, you didn't have to do everything, anything. They just, they just did it. And then we had children that weren't. And, you, you know, and yet we assumed they would just be straight-A students. And what they needed was some poking and prodding and, and some help. I had some of my children. The big mistake I made was some of my children were extremely extroverted Everywhere they went, they were just the leaders, for good and bad. They just, they just were leaders. And so I expected that out of all of my children. You've got to be an upfront leader. The truth is some of my children were more introverted, and, and what I imposed on them was really not fair or right. And so, so get out of the favoritism and the comparison thing. Learn your child for who they are and what their wiring is, and don't exasperate them by trying to make them who they're not. 
Number five is unrealistic expectations. And boy, I see so much of this going on. We crush our children with pressure to excel in school, sports, music, dance, gymnastics, you name it. If they're not the best, we're disappointed. Everybody can't be the best, guys. And what you need to do is learn to just celebrate every step they take forward. And then number six is closely related, which is discouragement. When your child can never satisfy you, there's something wrong. When you never stop to celebrate their accomplishments, even when everything wasn't perfect, we're making a mistake. And guys, us fathers sometimes are really bad about this. I could name three or four young men in this church, extremely successful, who've shared with me. They excelled in sports. They excelled in academics. They excelled socially. They excelled in their church, were leaders in their youth group. And their father never said a positive word to them. Only thing he could point out after the ball game or after the speech was what they had done wrong. That does long-term damage. I like what our speaker said this weekend. Every child needs one adult irrationally positive about them. You see, there's a great balance here between a child needing lots of love and affirmation and at the same time needing discipline. And we tend to go to one extreme or the other and leave the other out, and that's disaster. And that brings us to number seven, which is neglect. The greatest example of neglect in Scripture was King David, the man after God's own heart. But he was too busy, and he neglected this beautiful son, Absalom. And Absalom despised his father, hated him, and tried to overthrow him. Now, neglect can take all kinds of different ways. One way your children can pick up is when, when, when you fail to sacrifice. When all of a sudden you've got children and you're not willing to change your lifestyle. You're still living like you were single or didn't have any children, and they know that your hobby or this show comes before them. And that's so dangerous. They know when they're way down the totem pole. They pick up on that. And many of us, especially who work, if we're not careful, we come home with the emotional scraps of our life. We give to everybody and everything around us, and then we come home, and we're just completely drained. I struggle with that. And then we come home, and now are they getting our emotional scraps? But I'm more connected to this little buddy than I am to my children. And my conversations with them are constantly interrupted. And then another way to neglect them is to withdraw your affection. Child gets in big trouble. I don't like what they do. I discipline them. And then supposedly, then I, I, I withdraw. I don't keep expressing love. For a couple of days, I don't speak to them. That's dangerous, my friends. You see, what God does is God disciplines us and he loves us at the same time. You've got to connect with your child. In our technology day, you've got to search for it. Here's, you know, one really good thing I think I did with my children. Um, when I travel to speak different places, when my kids were little, I'd, I'd try to take a different kid on every, spe- every, every travel. And, and we'd get in the car, and that was before these things, and so there would be no interruptions, and this is Dad's famous game. We're going to play the question game. 
And uh, they, they would always roll their eyes, just like Lincoln just did. You know, when I would say, we're going to play the question game. And what the question game meant was, for the next few hours, we're just going to go back and forth asking questions. I can ask you anything I want to. You can ask Dad anything you want to. And I'm telling you, there was just beautiful connections made on the, those trips. Well, I was listening to my kid. The kid was listening to me. And we, we learned some, something desperately needed among children today is some verbal skills. And then number... Number eight, and this is so dangerous, you're going to exasperate your child out of their mind if you're a hypocrite. hypocrisy. When you expect your children to live up to standards you don't live up to, you're going to do damage. When you expect their language to be clean and yet they hear your language, it's not clean. When you expect them to be honest on everything they say to you and they hear you on the phone fudging why you didn't show up at work. When you expect them to be kind to their siblings, and yet you're not kind to the waiter in the restaurant when they're slow, or even to your spouse. When you expect your child to be in Bible class, and you drop them off, and you don't go to Bible class, or you just sit in the hall, you're teaching the wrong lesson. So, not to pile on, Jeremy, but there's a lot for us to work on. And none of us here would feel like, boy, I've got it together. And I just say, join the club. One of the best things I've learned as a parent is when I make a mistake, I'm going to be the first to apologize. There's just no sense in holding out and acting like I got it together. Your, child are going to look, your children are going to learn respect for you. You just, you just say, you know, I know I lost my temper the other day. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm not saying your behavior, but my behavior, I can take ownership of that. I'm going to take ownership of it. Don't expect perfection. Listen closely to this line. Don't expect perfection from your children or from you. So here's what we got to do in this job that seems so overwhelming to us. We got to pray. And we're going to spend some time the next few minutes praying together. I'm going to call all the shepherds of the church and their wives are here to surround the stage. I've also asked Bobby and Ashley Rees and Alan Candy Crosby and Stephanie and I will stand down here. Is we want to be for you. If you're a parent here today and you need us to pray about something, maybe something convicted you in this message or in the workshop this weekend. Maybe it's something you want to celebrate. Maybe it's an issue you, see, you seem to can't get over with your children. We want to give you an opportunity to simply come up here and give, give these folks your name because they're, they're going to be on the spot and let them know what they could pray for you. All of us as parents need to make improvement. And, and, and let me say this, we'll hit on this next week. Please understand this teaching in Ephesians 6 is in the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to be different, guys, we need to pray in the Spirit. Now let me make one more point before we start singing. Here's the point I want you to get. Our Heavenly Father does not exasperate us. You see, God's perfect. And many of us grew up with a view of God that I could never please him. He'd never be happy with me. I'm always on the line with him. The Bible says, you, I will never forsake you. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Apostle John says, his commands are not burdensome. He's not going to draw his affection from you. He's never going to draw his love. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So we have an example of a father who doesn't exasperate us. As the words of the song we just sang a little while ago, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say I'm held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, or you say I'm yours. 
And so today is a parent. If you need us to pray over you, or today you need to respond and become a Christian, then why don't you come while we stand together and sing?